What is the role of ethical decision-making in finance? How can a stronger framework for ethical practice instill public trust in the fairness of capital markets? Can these principles be taught? Gerhard Hambush is a senior lecturer in the Finance Discipline Group at the University of Technology, Sydney, and he's been teaching ethics and finance since 2008. My name is David Brown. I'm Associate Dean, External Engagement in the UTS Business School. And I'm Nicole Sutton, lecturer at the UTS Business School. And this is Think Business Futures, where we take cutting-edge research and couple that with real-world examples to unpack what is actually going on in the business world. Now, on this episode of Think Business Futures, we're talking about ethics in finance with Gerhard Hambush. Gerhard is a senior lecturer of finance at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Dave, for having me. So, Gerhard, how did you become interested in ethics and particularly in the field of finance? Well, that is something I always have to explain because people typically roll eyes when I tell them what I'm teaching, uh, in particular the subject ethics in finance at UTS. So, um, well, I came to Australia 10 years ago and joined UTS uh, straight after my PhD, which I finished uh, at the University of Wyoming in the US. And while I was finishing my PhD, I decided to have a parachute uh, to allow maybe entry back into the financial industry. And that parachute was a professional designation uh, that I pursued while doing my PhD. And part of that uh, designation program was also um, an ethics component, which was uh, quite painful to study for me because I thought uh, it just comes naturally and therefore I had to learn uh, basically to study ethics myself with an application to finance. So you thought you're an ethical person? I thought it probably comes naturally in a sense that uh, I felt my parents probably raised me in a way that I have it. You know, some people say they have it on their spine. I was hoping I would be one of those. But I realized the applications were quite challenging um, that I had to uh, study for this exam. And basically from there on, I was intrigued um, by the uh, challenge and opportunity ethics could could provide in an educational uh, environment that relates to finance in a university. Just incidentally, what was the professional uh, qualification that you're studying? So the designation uh, that I pursued was the so-called CFA program, which uh, CFA stands for Chartered Financial Analyst Program. And so I earned the right to use the designation in 2008. Uh, it usually takes a few years to get there, three exams and stuff. It was long. But every exam makes a point out of um, testing and assessing the candidate's ability to, to judge ethical situations, pitfalls, uh, applications. So every person who does a CFA would then do this ethical module that had this impact on you? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so that, that is uh, mandatory and uh, provides, uh, probably similar to me, uh, challenges to some of the candidates. So sorry if this question sounds a little facetious, but I want to start us at the beginning. Can you teach ethics to finance students? Well, that is probably the key question that my employer is very worried about. Luckily, when I came to UTS in 2008, they had kind of made that decision already for me. <laughs> so they had a, an ethics and finance subject just launched. So I think the underlying assumption was that UTS felt, uh, probably in line with some of the accreditation organizations that we work with, um, that uh, an ethics training uh, is needed and useful. Um, and of course, then um, whether or not ethics can be taught, uh, meaning that it makes a difference in students' ability to maybe judge situations with an application to finance, uh, um, that, is a, that is a second uh, related question. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think the understanding was and is um, that the provision of frameworks and or understanding of difficult situations uh, can improve students' ability to perform in the workplace. You would think by the time they get to university, their values and morals are 
I mean, this is already set. So, Dave, that's like me stepping into the first uh, CFA exam and thinking I know it all. <laughs> so uh, I, I think most of my students uh, arrive with that kind of mindset. Um, first of all, they're of age, they're adults, uh, typically at least in the ethics and finance undergraduate seminar. I have a group that's maybe early 20s um, with a few outliers. So these uh, students come to my class and they, they, I think they do believe uh, that they know what they're doing when it comes to decision-making uh, in any situation, including where it probably becomes a bit more difficult, less white and less black, more grey. But what are we talking about when we talk about ethics? Our producer Jason went to the Ethics Centre in Sydney to ask their director, Dr Simon Longstaff. Well, I think it's first of all important to understand that an ethical life, as opposed to a purely moral life, is distinguished by the fact that you stop and think. You examine what you're doing. You can grow up in a, a moral environment in which certain values and principles are encountered through your family or through community and you might take them on and you might do so in a way which leads you to be habitually kind or generous or, or whatever but if you're doing it just as a matter of habit then you're living in that sense a moral life but there's a higher thing that you can aspire to which is to live an ethical life and that goes back to the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates' claim that the unexamined life is not worth living. That is, an unexamined life is not the kind of life a human being should really engage in. Now the question is, how to get students to examine their values and principles in a classroom setting? Wondering what this might look like? Gerhard says his subjects start out like a traditional course. At least it starts traditionally with the university-type training where we explore, for example, ethical theories, um, a variety of those, and also different concepts, um, including whistleblowing, uh, the application to international business ethics, but also things like fairness, equity, justice uh, that uh, play into, into decision-making of humans. And that is basically the first half of the class. And then we switch gears and explore the uh, standards of professional conduct of CFA Institute in this case, which we consider to be one best practice example. And we explore uh, several aspects um, that relate strictly to finance in terms of uh, rules-based decision-making. So we, we look at, for example, behavior in capital markets. Uh, we look at behavior um, with respect to uh, how to treat clients. So there are several aspects that are then being highlighted in the second half of the class which of course relate back to the, uh, for example, theories and concepts we studied in the first half of the class. So it's, uh, it's really applied in the second half, and uh, the first half uh, relates to also the addition of knowledge to the students' uh, understanding of how to react in muddy waters when it comes to decision-making. Talking about the first half of the, of the course, what are some of your favourite concepts that you kind of enjoy teaching to your finance students? That's a great question because I think that the students shall be the judge, uh, you know, of what is the most exciting part in the first half. But my understanding is from feedback I've received from students um, that students are typically intrigued by kind of the triangular relationship between what they typically know well, which is economics. You know, they, they're all uh, drilled to optimize in Excel sheets and behave uh, properly when it comes to, for example, a shareholder value focus. Um, so that, that would be one aspect of the triangular relationship. But, um, of course, law as a second aspect, and then the aspect that we uh, shed light mostly on in our class, which is ethics slash morality. So the, the interaction of these three aspects, I think, is, is something that students enjoy exploring because some of these aspects of the relationships come as a surprise to some students. Like what? So, in particular, students are typically intrigued by discovering um, the relationship between economics and morality, simply because uh, economics may, makes most sense to them. So, they have been understanding, you know, applying um, mathematical concepts to the application of finance. 
So these these concepts um, and, and these intersections between ethics uh, and the legal frameworks that we speak about, I'm just conscious of the fact that you've got undergraduates in your classroom and some of these concepts and topics are going to be inherently interesting to some of your students, but for others it might appear a little bit dry, for want of a better term. Is there any other ways in which you can teach these sorts of these concepts that engage the rest of your student body? That's probably the holy grail of, of teaching this subject or having been given the assignment, I shall say, especially coming into a new group that exactly suffers from probably the idea of me putting theories from a textbook on their plate and they have to digest it and then spit it out in a memorized fashion. That is just the death of university education, isn't it? Mm. So, um, so to respond to those very concerns of students, I felt in the first class, and, and again, my subject is called ethics and finance, but in the first class, I'm... I'm uh, I'm doing something that that I would probably describe as a wild lab. So I'm sitting I'm sitting basically in a classroom and I'm I'm able to allow them to use their mobile phones to to quiz them to survey them. So I have a few questions typically that I'm asking them just to break the ice, but I sometimes challenge them in um, maybe offering them certain uh, deals in a game style fashion. Uh, one of these uh, these explorations of uh, equity or fairness or justice in the context of economic decision making is the so-called ultimatum bargaining game, which uh, I see you, Nicole, you're a bit surprised what that could be. Um, it's basically a game that assumes uh, that there is uh, someone coming into the classroom offering a certain amount of money to me as the lecturer, and I have the following task. I can go to any student in the classroom, and I can offer them a certain share of that amount. Let's, for example, take uh, the person that comes into the classroom has $100. That person offers to me that I can go to a student and offer the student any amount of money of these $100. If the student accepts the deal, the student takes the share offered by me, and I can keep the remainder. If the student says, no, thank you, none of us gets anything, and the person takes the $100 and leaves the classroom. So the, the idea is now that I uh, come to the classroom, I can come now to you, Dave, and say, Dave, uh, you know, I have $100 here. I'll give you $1 out of the $100, and if you say yes, you can keep the $100, and I'll keep the $99. And you would be now my student in the classroom. Would you take the dollar, or would you enjoy taking the dollar? Yes, I take it. Okay, so Dave uh, takes the dollar. That uh, that is a, that is a, an answer that's possible. Nicole, how about you? Would you take no the dollar? No way! That's so unfair. You're going to get $99. I'm going to get a dollar. Nah, no deal. I like that answer too, Nicole, because it kind of alludes exactly to the idea of I'm playing a game with students and the outcome is just totally polar. One student says, yes, I'm taking the dollar. The other one says... No, thank you. That is, that is very much unfair. No, thank you, I meant. No, thank you. And the idea is basically what Dave alluded to is, you know, Dave has no skin in the game. There's no investment on the table of his. And he says a dollar uh, return to no investment means an infinite return. I'll take it. I, I've been trained at Economics 101. I love that. So give me the dollar. But some students say, similar to you, Nicole, no, thank you. I'm not taking that dollar because it's unfair. And so we explore, because you said what is exciting for the students to discover, we explore this this uh, this tension between uh, being driven by maybe, uh, say, cash incentives that are on the table. I can offer a dollar, $10, $15. Some students break down at $5. Uh, but in general, students then uh, uh, realize that fairness, similar to Unicol, is a big deal in decision-making. If you're being treated unfairly, mm. you're, not, you're not literally game to accept this offer. Mm. And so, therefore, the realization kicks in that, wow, there's something that is outside of my, my homo economicus uh, optimization that drives my decision-making. And justice, a.k.a. fairness, is um, 
is something that students then uh, put on the map and say, oh, I see, here's something that makes it different. Of course, the Davids in the classroom, some of them... Uh, I've just realized I'm an econ. Yep. <laughs> you are. Which, yep. which I trust is not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. But to explore basically uh, different aspects of decision-making that include, of course, economic economics aspects, but also morality, and then, of course, legal aspects. We're, we're playing in Australia inside a legal framework when we do business. I think that, that opens eyes to some of the students. Can I just open that up just a little, to just try and think about the relation between legal frameworks and ethics? Because the law, for me, seems to be, uh, I guess, compliance uh, and so on, whereas ethics are not necessarily you know, compliance. It's sort of a much broader set of principles. I mean, how do these two things actually relate? Once again, I think a, a very good question because that's what, what students sometimes are struggling, especially those that, for example, have a, a double major. Some, some of my students do finance and law, and so they have a very good law training already um, under their belt when they come in, in their last year to meet to UTS and to my subject. Um, so to answer your question, some people say everything that's legal is ethical. And they basically say, as long as I'm inside the, the frame of, for example, Australian law, I can't be doing wrong there, right? Uh, some others would argue that the law is already imposing on my thinking in a way that it sets me up for a certain way of dealing with the situation. So as an example, and, and uh, in finance, if we talk, for example, inside trading, the corporation sector is very clear about that inside trading or insider trading is not legal, therefore must not happen. Some students that are maybe uh, trained in the in the theory of finance or in economics may argue that they have maybe science arguments that would that would lead to the idea that inside trading can be make markets more efficient, make information disperse into markets much more quickly. So they say, if that is my belief, maybe well informed through science, then the law is a fence that already restricts my ability to take a decision that I would believe is well-informed, that seeks out and acts on reason, right? So the um, the relationship between, I guess, law and morality uh, and ethics is, a, is sometimes a difficult one because ultimately, at least in Australia, m many people consider the law to be the hard-binding constraint and they maybe add ethics to their decision-making and maybe they, they pick their sides, ethics or law, whenever it becomes optimal for them or optimal for their businesses. <music> You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download the show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcast app and look for Think Business Futures. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. This show is a co-production of the UTS Business School with the support of 2SER. And on this episode, we're speaking to Gerhard Hambusch about teaching ethics in finance. Gerhard, you've also done some research examining the effects of the classroom learning experiences on moral development in your finance students. So can you tell us a bit about this? Uh, of course. So it probably relates back to your question, can ethics be taught to anybody, including students or professionals? And basically, the question that we had, the research question, was uh, that very question, can it be taught? That means, does it make any difference to people and how they uh, later um, undertake decision-making, uh, how they behave maybe in business and or in other situations. And so what we did is, with a couple of colleagues here at UTS, we um, we took this very seminar, which uh, consists of anywhere between 80 and 100-plus students, and um, we let them do certain case studies at the beginning of the class before any training occurred. They basically came to the first session, and um, we had them do some case studies, 
Um, these were taken from uh, from the established literature, so um, we borrowed actually from the accounting literature that was the case of a very close to, to finance applications. And we let them um, judge certain situations also with respect to importance of separate facts inside this case. I think the case details are less important, but we took basically a measurement of their ability to judge somewhat uh, difficult situations in business and or accounting and or finance. And then we had our semester. The students had no idea what we would be doing, obviously. So we did uh, our regular semester with a training in the first half on theory, concepts, and some important applications. And then the very applied section in the second half. And uh, after that class, we uh, we let them take these very uh, case studies again to see if, uh, if their judgment had changed at all. And students were decently surprised. Um, some of them had completely forgotten. They admitted to, long story short, we, uh, we took another level of their ability to judge these. And uh, we had two main results that came then out of the analysis of the, of the data that we collected from the students. So first of all, the question uh, that was answered was, can ethics be taught? We believe there was a yes, given the sample that we have and given the environment we have. Well, this is great news. <laughs> we, we thought it was great news because it provides us now uh, to formally and with, scientific, uh, with some scientific uh, background actually argue that uh, ethics can be taught. Of course, uh, if a person chooses to act differently, we have a person sitting in London at a trading desk and taking six billion pounds for a spin, um, that person is, is deliberately doing so, and that person will probably choose to continue to do so. But in general, a person's ability to, uh, to navigate in muddy waters, it seemed like um, um, that can be enhanced in terms of the cognitive development that students uh, have undergone uh, throughout this uh, training. That's great news for Gerhard and the students in his classroom, but is there research showing the lasting effects of ethics training in the workplace? Dr. Longstaff says that ethical training is a matter of awareness. The lasting effect is partly in the individual, that they're, in a sense, awakened to the circumstances in which they are shaping the world through decisions. The lasting effect is in the organisation, that it starts to be what it says it is, and it reduces the terrible costs it bears when trust is destroyed by hypocrisy. A lasting effect, I suppose, is that it's not always going to be a grand gesture. It won't always be trumpets blaring and flags flying, but organisations and individuals within them will fall just the right side of each question and the world becomes better because of that, not through major things but through this accumulation over time. But also the organisation and its people feel enriched by the meaningful nature of what they do and they build trust, they build social capital. Does our ethical framework hold strong or can it change based on the situation? A little bit. I mean, there are some things which are core. I mean, you pick up along the way ways of thinking and certainly a, a creative response which refuses to accept that the world is just as you find it. So, I mean, you know, you can uh, get in a situation where someone will say, look, I've, I'm caught between these two stools, you know, the classic dilemma on the one hand, you know, I'm going to maintain my good name and my reputation for integrity by being very accurate and committed in terms of, say, in construction. I'm going to do work on time and on budget, but what am I supposed to do when my competitors come in and they say they can do it in half the time or half the price? Do I become like them or do I stick to my guns but run the risk that I'll go out of business because people say, well, I'm not going to give you work. There's this cheaper, quicker option, even if... It's less safe for... Yeah, and people see it doesn't work. It ends up not being done mm. on time or budget. So that's the kind of case where people say, oh, well, you know... Yeah, being ethical is a little bit like being a little rabbit, you know. It's kind of furry and nice and you choose that option. You might be patted every now and then, but you're on a roadway 
called life and a big truck called reality is bearing down and you're destined to be roadkill. That's what ethics is about. So no, it's not. Ethical people don't accept that that's the two choices they're given. So in that case, if you were that good at being able accurately to estimate cost and time, you might go to a prospective client and say, I'm going to do something really unusual. I'm going to offer you a bond worth 10% of the contract price and if I overrun on cost or time, you keep the money. Now, all I'm going to ask you to do is to require the same of my competitors. And the instant the ethical builder or constructor does that, they tilt the table back so it's now level because the unscrupulous competitor has no chance to take advantage of the client. So you're not applying to a client's sense of virtue. It's self-interest on their case. You're taking a skill you've got but you're changing the conditions, and that's what ethics is about. If we've learned anything from Australia's Banking Royal Commission, it's that workplace culture can make good people do bad things. Employees behave according to the workplace culture, which often doesn't align with a company's stated values. So, Royal Commission, imagine if you were the person sitting in the seat, not just in front of a room full of people, but the whole country saying, yes, it's true, we were charging fees to dead people. That Imagine you had to say that, to had to hear those words pass your lips and at some point you would ask, oh, how did I become that person who uttered those words? So what ethics does is it's a hugely protective element in the first case in that it means that instead of being driven down this path blindly, obeying a set of forces which are there merely as a matter of convention where everybody's doing it, you're looking and you're saying, actually, why are we doing it? So you, you can have one or two people who are equipped with this skill, and that might be better, but what you try to do is to create a broader sense of engagement in ethics. As I say, not as this special and removed area. I mean, too often when people hear the word ethics, they think, oh, yeah, it's about the Royal Commission or it's about stem cell research using embryos or euthanasia. It's not. It's about every single choice you make daily. You go to a supermarket and you ask, will I buy the eggs from free-range chooks or the caged birds? You're doing ethics. If you're asking, what kind of product will I develop here? Will it be one which is beneficial to customers and it's weighted that way or it's purely to the advantage of the company? You're actually doing ethics. You may not give it that name, but... The skills you need to answer those questions, those day-to-day practical questions, that's what you're educated to do. But Gerhard, when you're telling us about your research, in my mind I wonder, what's your take in terms of the finance industry and the finance profession today, given what you know in terms of the importance of teaching ethics to finance students, but also now, I guess, kind of this slipperiness in terms of the, the ethics. How do you, in, you interpret some of the events that we've been seeing recently about financial professionals uh, that we see reported in the media? Oh, well, that's not an easy question, Nicole. I was actually uh, um, asked, you know, like, which way are we going? Is this a dark hole now that we uh, never come out of? And what happens to finance in the world? I have a, a strictly different view um, that I believe uh, that things can be changed for the better. Many um, institutions, including educational institutions, it is part of their mission to make uh, the financial world a better place by reinstalling trust, 
uh, in the industry and giving finance a purpose inside the economy, not being a self-serving uh, um, animal inside the economy, but rather supporting other parts of the economy. So I do believe that, uh, that there's room for improvement, uh, and I do that uh, one student at a time. Since 2008, I probably had roughly 2,000 students that I was lucky to work with. And when I get emails from students that have now, you know, positions with, uh, for example, Australian regulators, U.S. investment banks in and outside Australia, I have to admit that I get very positive feedback that a certain level of training improves the ability to take judgment and also improves the ability to work with firms that have very good procedures, governance, compliance in process to make uh, uh, financial roles and the financial function itself uh, much more safe and much more trustworthy uh, in general. Do we have to uh, clean the closet a bit? I would I would reckon the answer is yes, that's currently happening. If we open the newspapers every day, we see what's happening. But I do believe that there's uh, lessons learned, and I do believe that the next generation of financial professionals is picking up on that. And as I said in the beginning, very important designations, important for those who take them because they can be career-changing, career-advancing, uh, and also educational degrees such the ones that we offer at UTS. They do emphasize uh, the ethical decision-making of the agents. So a knowledge of the student and or the candidate in these designation programs is required that allows responding to, to difficult situations in finance and beyond. So if you ask me, is there light at the end of the tunnel? I see a big sunshine at the end of the tunnel. Yes, I think um, decision-making can be improved and we're on the way there. So that brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to 2SER, 2SER.com that is. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app. This podcast is made by the UTS Business School with support from 2SER 107.3. Thank you, Gerhard Hambush, for coming in on the show to share his insights and passion around ethics and finance. You can find more of his research on the UTS website. So thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.